Welcome listeners, but take heed, we will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. Before we begin, please be aware, we have a tendency to swear. You have been warned, make no mistake, so join us now, we're We're for Fox Sake. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Carly, and the cozy down Gryffindor to my right is Ellen. It's very cold outside. It is cold in Cleveland, friends. There is absolutely no choice but to be cozy. Listen, I wore slippers here today and stepped in a giant pile of snow, and Ellen goes, you're definitely from Georgia. Indeed, I am. (laughs) I am also wearing slippers, but I did not have to go outside. Good choices. You know what would have been really handy? If you didn't have to walk at all and you could have just flown over the snow? That would have. I'll have to get me a Nimbus 2000. And speaking of flying, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 7, the Slug Club, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. We are fully introduced to the meddling ways of old Sluggy when Harry and Neville go to Compartment C to meet him for lunch. There they meet a lot of people who are well-connected individuals. And Jenny. You know, because she's a badass and good at magic. Harry and that meddling bone decide to spy on Nazi von Douchebag II. Cloak on, he makes Zabini give Goyle a lap dance and not very stealthily hides in the luggage compartment. He overhears a lot of big talk and ends up getting caught and curb stomped by Malfoy. However, if you're watching the movie, you only see Harry being a meddling fool. None of the old sluggy information is given right now. During episode 207, Meddling Bone, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on the invisibility cloak's impenetrability? Do you think that Malfoy should have been able to Petrificus Totalis Harry? Michaela said, I don't believe the cloak is completely impenetrable, because you can still hear the slightest noise when someone is using it. If caught by surprise, yes, Draco would have been able to cast that spell on Harry. It all depends on circumstances and chance. Hey Ellen, hey Carly, Jackson here with my pot of pondering. See, I think that Harry's cloak is impenetrable in the way that it can't be detected. So spells that would reveal the wearer, such as Axio, would not do anything to the cloak. But things that would just hit the person, such as Petrificus Totalis, I think they'd work. To me, the impenetrable means that the wearer cannot be located. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter pondering for this week about the invisibility cloak. So from what I studied up on briefly and from listening to the chapter during the Battle of Hogwarts when the trio are running through the castle, it's my understanding that the cloak is impenetrable to like the eye and spells that would make it visible and it can't tear or anything like that. Other cloaks obviously fade or become cloudy over time, but Harry's cloak is the true invisibility cloak from the Tale of the Hollows. So, while unseen, the trio still needed to dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge their way across the battle to avoid curses and jinxes. So, honestly, Draco using the Petrificus Totalis on Harry would not have been blocked by the cloak. But what I think should not have worked was Moody's eye being able to see through the cloak and see Harry under it. Yeah, so I don't know why his eye was powerful enough for that, but that's like the one little piece of lore that bothers me about the cloak. But long story short, yes, Petrificus Totalis would have worked on it. Kendra says, I think that the part of it being immune to spells was a myth and that while it truly made Harry invisible, the cloak was not infallible. Dumbledore also was able to cast a spell at Harry under the cloak on the tower, and while people have explained that away because it was with the Elder Wand, I really think the truth is that the cloak does not shield from spells. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what auras are stationed at Hogwarts when Harry arrives for his sixth year? The auras are Tonks, Proudfoot, Savage and Dollish. Congratulations goes to Kalista White Wolf. Yay! Not only is this four weeks in a row, 
She also Hermione'd us to point out they were technically stationed in Hogsmeade, not at Hogwarts. With these kinds of smarts, I think she can keep this streak going. I think so, but you never know. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 8, Snape Victorious, and the parallel, but not really corresponding film scenes. Chapter 8, Snape Victorious, Part 1. Harry is completely paralyzed under his invisibility cloak, with blood pouring out of his nose. He can hear voices and footsteps in the corridor, and hopes someone will look into the compartment. His spirits sink when he realizes he wouldn't be seen or heard, even if they did. His only hope is if someone walks in and steps on him. Nothing has ever made him hate Malfoy more, and he feels so stupid for landing himself in this situation. Ron and Hermione will both think he's just left the train without them, and by the time anyone realizes he's actually missing, the train will be halfway back to London. He tries to make any kind of sound, but it is impossible to even grunt. He then tries to summon his wand by thinking Accio wand, but nothing happens. He thinks he can hear rustling of the trees, but no panicked voices wondering where Harry Potter is. He feels hopeless as he imagines the Thestral-drawn carriages making their way up to school, with muffled yells of laughter coming from Malfoy's carriage as he tells his friend about his attack on Harry. The train begins to rumble as the engine starts, but then the invisibility cloak flies off him and a voice says, Watcher, Harry, followed by a flash of red light. Harry's body unfreezes and he looks up to see Tonks holding his cloak. As the train starts to move, she tells him they better jump off quickly and leads him down the corridor to the train door. They both leap onto the platform and watch as the train picks up speed and disappears around the corner. The cold air feels soothing on Harry's nose, though he is angry and embarrassed about the position Tonks found him in. She hands him his cloak back and asks him who did it. He bitterly replies that it was Draco Malfoy and thanks her. Tonks tells him it was no problem, but isn't smiling, and Harry can see that she looks just as mousy and miserable as she did when he saw her at the burrow. She tells him she can fix his nose, and though he isn't as confident in her healing spills as he would be of Madame Pomfrey, he holds still, as she says, a pisky. Harry's nose goes from hot to cold, but then feels mended. He thanks her, and, still unsmiling, she tells him to put his cloak on as they walk to the school. While he does so, she sends a large, silvery, four-legged creature towards the castle, and Harry asks if it is a Patronus. She confirms that it is, explaining that she sent word to the castle that she had him so they wouldn't worry. As they set off, Harry asks how she found him. Tonks says she noticed he hadn't left the train and thought he might be hiding. She checked the train and saw the blinds were drawn in the compartment. Harry then asks her what she's doing there and learns that she's been stationed in Hogsmeade to give the school extra protection. He wonders if it is just her and she tells him that Proudfoot, Savage, and Dawlish are there too. They continue to make their way up the lane and Harry glances towards Tonks, thinking how she seems older and more serious than how she used to be. He wonders if it was because of everything that happened at the Ministry. He knows Hermione would suggest he say something consoling about Sirius to her, but he can't bring himself to. He doesn't blame her for it, but doesn't like to talk about Sirius if he can avoid it. They just keep walking along the path in silence, which is a lot farther away from Hogsmeade Station than Harry ever appreciated since he's always traveled there by carriage. He is relieved when they see the tall pillars, each topped with a winged boar, and reaches out to push the gates open. When he realizes they are chained shut, he uses Alohomora to unlock them, but nothing happens. Tonks explains that Dumbledore bewitched them himself, so that won't work. Harry suggests he climbs a wall, but Tonks tells him that he can't, since there are anti-intruder jinxes on all of them. He's a little annoyed by her lack of helpfulness, and says he'll just sleep out there and wait till morning. Tonks then points out that someone is coming for him, and the sight of the lantern coming down from the castle pleases Harry so much, he feels he can endure Filch's criticisms of his tardiness. As the light moves closer, Harry realizes that it is not Filch, but Snape, 
who immediately sneers and makes a sarcastic comment about Harry finally turning up and his lack of school robes. Harry tries to explain, but Snape cuts him off to tell Nymphadora she doesn't have to wait. She frowns, mentioning that she met Hagrid to get her message, and Snape informs her that he took it since Hagrid was also late to the feast. He also mentions being interested in her new Patronus, saying she was better off with the old one as the new one looks weak. Harry briefly sees the shock and anger on Tonks' face as Snape's lantern passes over her. He tells her goodnight and thanks her as he and Snape begin to walk up to the school. The movie section picks up as Draco Malfoy exits the train and walks down the platform at Hogsmeade Station, leaving Harry behind, petrified and invisible. The camera cuts to show the closed train compartment door with the shade drawn, then shifts to show a view of the train corridor through a slight kaleidoscope effect. It shifts back to the compartment door opening, revealing Luna Lovegood wearing strange-looking glasses and carrying the quibbler. She enters the compartment and the view changes back to what she sees through the glasses. As she looks in the apparently empty compartment, she notices a horde of little things flying above the floor in the middle of the compartment. The camera switches back to Luna as she pulls out her wand and casts Finite in the general vicinity. Through her eyes, the scene shows Harry appear and be able to move again. As he sits up, Luna lifts her glasses and greets him. He gets up, asking her how she knew where he was, and she explains that it was the Raxperts and his head is full of them. Harry kind of looks around him but doesn't say anything and the scene changes to show the two of them walking a road to the castle. Harry apologizes for making Luna miss the carriages but she responds that it's alright because it's like being with a friend. Harry informs her that he is her friend and Luna says that's nice. They reach the gates and are addressed by Professor Flitwick who says that he's been looking all over for them. He then unrolls a scroll and asks for their names prompting Harry to point out that he's known him for five years. Flitwick tells Potter there are no exceptions, and then they are distracted when Luna points out some people checking the student's luggage and asks who they are. Flitwick tells her they are Aurors, as one asks Malfoy about the cane among the trunks. Draco fires back that it's a walking stick, and as the Auror is asking him what he needs a walking stick for, Flitwick magically closes and seals the gates shut. The Auror and Malfoy are still arguing over the walking stick until Snape vouches for him. Malfoy snatches the stick from the Auror's hand and looks over at Harry, saying, Nice face, Potter. Harry grimaces at him and watches as he stalks off. Luna reaches for her wand and asks if he would like her to fix it for him, saying she thinks it makes him look more devil-may-care, but it's up to him. Harry asks if she's ever fixed a nose before, and she replies that she hasn't, but she's done several toes, and they can't really be that different. Harry agrees she can give it a go, and she points her wand at his face and says, Episky! With a cracking sound, Harry yells in pain and doubles over a bit before straightening back up and asking how he looks. When Luna says he looks exceptionally ordinary, he looks relieved and says, brilliant. It is amazing to me how similar these are, but also how different these how are. How completely different they are. We just hope for the best. I do appreciate how certain things happened in the movie yeah for what they are <laughs> but not for how they stay true to the book correct because luna is delightful she is and she's so perfect ivana lynch is perfect so perfect i love that we got these moments with her i do like seeing the build-up of their friendship as opposed to just kind of how we're introduced to Harry and Ginny's relationship is just kind of like appears. Yeah. I like that they do the build up moments with Luna and Harry and you can see her little love for him in a friend way appear. Yeah. I do miss that we didn't get to see Tonks. Yeah. Was she like busy during this movie or something? I mean, she would have been doing Game of Thrones, so possibly then, but it worked. They kept it parallel. But they also left out a lot of details. They did. Big changes, not to the plot, but to the details. Yeah. And then just erase, 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 delete, delete, delete. We don't need this. We don't need this. We don't need this. They definitely moved the plot forward. Yes. <laughs> Which is the theme of this movie, I think. Just move the plot forward. Yeah. We just need to get the main idea across. 
and also killed Dumbledore. Can I say, spoilers, but can I say <laughs> that when we come up to the Horcruxes, I'm not sure they got the point across, but... When you come up? When we come up. Yep. Oh, I'm boy. sticking with it. I'm going to have to... S- <laughs> come up. However, we'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, you know. So on the plus side, because we get to determine where the movie section starts to line up with the book chapters, they do start in the same place. Just with different people. Yes. But Harry is completely abandoned, invisible, on the train, Petrificus Totalist, with a broken nose. Yep. So that right there is about the one thing they left the same. Ding! (laughs) They give us a little bit more of Harry's inner monologue, because that's all he can do is think about what a fucking idiot he is, basically. They do that in the book. I wish that Harry had had an inner monologue in the movies. I don't know that those kind of voiceover inner monologues always work very well. No, but for some things, especially in like Chamber of Secrets, it would have been very nice to have a Harry monologue. Yeah, he was really good. Daniel Radcliffe was really good about showing a lot of things with his face. I was going to say his face does a lot of the work, but there are a lot of important things. Like in this moment, he could be like, why? Whereas in the book... They actually have us saying that he can hear the voices and the footsteps in the corridor as people are leaving Mm -hmm. the train. His only hope is that somebody looks in the compartment, but then he also realizes that even if they do, they're not going to be able to see him. That's fair. Basically, they'd have to actually walk in the compartment and step on him to find him. And the odds of that happening are slim to none. Something similar does happen, though. This would be the way Luna would find him. He's also thinking about how his best friends must just figure he left the train without them because he was kind of mad in the book. Mm -hmm. He was annoyed with them. They weren't listening to him. Do they ever, though? I don't think he was really that sorry in the long run to have to go to Slughorn's lunch. I just don't think he wanted to stay there that long. But the fact that he never came back from that, you know that those two are worrying. If Neville went back, like, why wouldn't you be like, where's Harry? Because they were all in the same compartment together. So... I'm sure he told him that he was meddling, but (laughs) Neville wouldn't say it like that. He'd be like, oh, he went to the bathroom. (laughs) I don't think he told Neville and Ginny what he was doing. He was just like, see you later. So then it would bear some concern to be like, oh, where's Harry? I don't know. He fucked off. I would be concerned, but whatever. I love in the book, the author describes Harry as hating himself for thinking nobody's saying where's harry potter (laughs) he also feels really stupid that he landed himself in that situation i get it there's just a lot that that meddling bone gets him in some oh yeah messes but there's a lot that we grasp from harry's inner monologue Mm -hmm. that i think can kind of skew our perception on some things when you're reading the book since it is from his perspective but at the same time it really lets us know what he's thinking, how he's feeling, what's going on, how wrong he is sometimes, or how right he is sometimes. Yeah. So I I do kind of miss that the movie didn't include anything like that, but I'm not entirely sure how they could have successfully. The voiceover, yeah, I don't know. If it's done right. Yeah, it's... We'll see what they do with the TV show, I guess. But anyway, at this point, Harry's completely convinced that by the time they actually realize he's full on missing, the train's going to be halfway to London. Isn't it like an eight hour journey? Is it going to take them four hours to realize (laughs) he's missing? (laughs) Harry, shut up. Well, you know, he is not Ravenclaw. No. He's trying to make any kind of sound that he can, but I guess even his vocal cords are petrificus totalist because he can't even grunt. He can't do anything. No vibrations are happening in there to make a noise. This is really interesting. What happens to your internal organs? I know. That's why I was wondering how he could keep bleeding. Yeah, I thought that too. I just think that's one of those things that maybe they didn't think all the way through. At some point, you just have to be like, it's magic. Magic, yeah. Magic, Ellen, magic. (laughs) Yeah, but like in Fantastic Beasts, which I just watched the other day again, the Newt Petrificus Totalis is the banker. You can hear him say, Kowalski, but he's... Petrificus Totalist. And I'm like, oh, we're making that choice to do that. Maybe Yikes. it wasn't fully taken effect when he said it. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how they lead you to believe. Like you can kind of see the magic going up his body, but still. Yeah, I don't know. 
Harry does try to summon his wand wordlessly. He knows that that's something that can be done, but I think you have to still have your wand to do nonverbal spells. Unless you're natty. There's a point in the book when Harry is frightfully looking around for his wand and he's just like saying Lumos, Lumos, Lumos in hopes that it happens. And it does when his hand is not on the wand. It was really close to it, though. So maybe. <laughs> but maybe he wasn't close enough to Accio it. And I don't know if you can Accio your own wand because you're using that wand to do the Accioing. So you're going to hate me for saying this, but in Star Wars, in the prequels, they talk about midichlorians and how those are what Jedi have in them to be Jedi. With Anakin, Anakin has like the highest midichlorian count ever. So he can do stuff that Qui-Gon has never seen a Jedi do before, even though he's not been trained as a Jedi. And I think maybe that's the same. Like, how much magic do you have in you? Yeah. Midichlorian magic. I don't know that it's midichlorian magic in <laughs> Harry Potter. However, it could be something similar where people have more magic within them innately and that makes them more adept at the nonverbal spells. Or, or maybe not needing a wand. Right. But we do know that Wagadu, through Hogwarts Legacy, routinely taught people how to do magic without wands. It's a foci for magic, not necessarily the magic. Yeah, that's what it is in D&D as well. You need a focus object. So technically, it doesn't have to be a wand. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Maybe some people are more magical and can be like, haha, wandless magic. I am a house elf. However... Harry is not one of these people, at least not in this moment, because nothing happens. Tis true. He's feeling pretty hopeless. He's just imagining all of the Thestral-drawn carriages are just pulling away without him. He is full on in that mode where he's just picturing Malfoy telling all of his friends about how he left Harry Potter and all of the laughter ensuing from that story. And then the train engine starts to rumble. The whole train is rumbling, getting ready to go. And unexpectedly, I guess he doesn't notice the door open or anything. Maybe he's distracted by the rumbling engine. But all of a sudden, the Isn't cloak he comes facing off of him. The underside of the seats right now, because it jerks well, a little bit. A, I don't know. So maybe he was just with his back to the door. I mean, we'll you see. think he could have still heard it open? He's listening for people talking outside. Like he's hearing conversations. He's waiting and... to hear his name. Where's Harry Potter? Regardless, the cloak flies off of him and someone says, Watch her, Harry, followed by a flash of red light. At this, Harry unfreezes and he can look up at Tonks, who is holding his invisibility cloak. And since the train is starting to move, she's like, We gotta go, bitch. <laughs> and I wish she was that sassy, but she's kind of sad, she's mousy. Not, yeah, Tonks. she's not sassy Tonks right now. She's like, I'm in love with the werewolf. Who doesn't love me back even though he does. <laughs> he won't say it. I'm going to write a song. <laughs> I think you just did. Anyway, they jump off the train. Harry kind of staggers as he lands on the platform, but it speeds away. So that was like just in time. Being out in the open air with it being nighttime, probably got a little bit of a lake breeze going on. It feels good on Harry's nose. Poor Harry. Go stick your nose in the lake. Right? He's super angry at Malfoy and very embarrassed that Tonks, who he's always liked and looked up to, had to find him the way she found him. <laughs> I really like that he's so embarrassed that she finds him like this, but like, you really couldn't help it, dude. Yeah. It'd just be the way it is. And she's totally had to get him out of worse situations, so... At least you weren't on the toilet. Right? petrified on the toilet oh god <laughs> well at least if you had to go to the bathroom if all your inner stuff is working yeah tonks gives him his cloak back and wants to know who did it naturally he's like it was nazi von douchebag the second your freaking cousin or whatever he is i yeah. don't think he says that but it is accurate they're cousins yeah and he does thank her so there's that she says that it's no problem but she's not her usual smiley self just like Harry noticed when he saw her back in the burrow. And she's still very mousy and miserable looking. Which is sad. But that's not how it happened in the movie. Though, it is a parallel. After being the absolute worst, Nazi von Duschbeck II gets off the train, 
He's like, deuces, Harry's on the floor, and he's hidden under the cloak. Which is the one ding that we talked about earlier. Uh-huh. So now we come to this. So pretty much the movie looks pretty accurate up until, bam, magic. Luna shows up instead of Tonks. So why did they make this choice? So maybe it is like you said that Natalia Tena was busy with Game of Thrones stuff and couldn't make it for this movie, so they had to figure something else out. I mean, she is in the movie for two seconds when the burrow catches on fire, which you're mad about, and we will talk about it when we get there. I also am mad about it, but you know, whatever. I just, changing it to Luna at least makes sense that she would be the one that finds him and the way she finds him. It did work really well, the change. If they had been written that way in the book, I wouldn't have been been the least bit upset. Yeah. However. They miss out on so much of understanding Tonks. And they make Tonks in the movie a weak, pandering lady. I'm going to be truthful. When they show her at the borough with Lupin, with Remus, she's like... The worst night of the cycle is the first night, blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, talking about that, but she's, like, being really submissive. Yeah. I I don't like that. That's not Tonks. Tonks is very forward, and she's very goofy and fun. And they don't make Tonks goofy and fun in the movies. They make her weird. Yeah, they gave her the (laughs) one moment where she got to do different noses, and Mm -hmm. that's about it. And she trips on the... She is a little clumsy. She is a little clumsy. And she winks at Harry. That's really cute. And I think that that's funny and fun. But they drop her fun personality after this. It's just like... I mean, they practically drop her character. They do. And Tonks is very important. There's a lot of really important things that they miss out on. And I know you can't include everything. But Tonks is a very important character. She's very important to the plotline moving forward. She's very important in understanding harry's processing of Sirius dying and stuff like that plus her and remus's death at the end is 100 percent parallel new parents dying and leaving their baby behind it's how the story started it is how the story started it's how it ended and to just i and know they don't they even bring up teddy did that like there was no development of their relationship they were just all of a sudden together there was no yeah, and they get together in this movie, and they, like, yeah. they're together mm. at that scene in the burrow, and you're just like, oh, but there's no emphasis on it. But, you know, the only point at which they bring up Teddy, which bothers me, is when Harry's like, oh, Remus, you just had your son, when he's talking to them, in, when he has the resurrection stone, he's talking to them in the forest. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah, and Remus is like, he's fine. He has other people to tell him how brave his mother and father were. And I'm like, okay, I'm sad. But, like, it's because I read the story and I actually know that you didn't want to be with your son at one point because right. you were nervous. None There's so much included. And it's amazing that as delightful as Luna is and as well as this scene came together despite this huge change, how many other residual feelings it brings up that the change happened yes and it's i do think that it's probably because she had game of thrones obligations and stuff like that but come on guys but come on guys i think that this is something that i'd like to know everybody else's feelings on oh yeah absolutely so we can make this our potter pondering yep okay let's do it we want to know how you feel and Obviously, I feel strongly. (laughs) Yeah. It's a hard change for me. As Remus is like my second favorite character, it's hard to see part of him disappear. And we don't get the Patronus change, which is an important part of this piece. Yeah. So. But no, we don't get it. But It's just gone. We get Luna finding Harry in the most Luna way, using her specs. Which, like I said adorable it would have been fine if it was written that way in the i book. love the way that it came together i hate the fact that they changed it yeah so I, I feel very torn on it yeah you know but she spots harry through raxberts man raxberts doesn't surprise me in the least bit that harry has a bunch of raxberts going around in his brain honestly considering that tonks knew he was missing and went actively looking for him and was like oh hey this compartment 
has blinds down, doors closed, what's going on here? I better check this one out. Makes perfect sense for an Auror. Yeah. She's investigating. It's what she does. Luna, wandering around the train with her spectrospects on, following rack spurts, like... That's very Luna. It's so Luna. And I'm glad that it wasn't her just being like, why is this compartment door closed? I'm glad they changed the details if they're going to change the major plot point details. Yeah. They changed the minor ones, which worked. And like I said, it does work. Mm -hmm. However. At least it wasn't stupid like the burrow catching on fire. Right? (laughs) We're going to talk about that so much. What's really nice, too, is... The way they did this in the movie, she had literally already explained what Rexperts were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we do hear about Rexperts in the book, too. Mm-hmm. So it's keeping the essence accurate. <laughs> There's a waft of... I am, like, reaching out and trying to grab Rexperts right now. <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> my hand is just, like, grabbing at things that aren't there. So trying to catch the Rexperts. It's what your dogs are biting at when they bite at the air. Must be. I like it for what it is. I don't like it for, for what it wasn't. The book. <laughs> Speaking of the book, back to it being Tonks. Before they even start walking anywhere, Tonks is like, I can fix your nose. And Harry kind of hesitates because he's planning on going straight to Madame Pomfrey. He knows that she can heal things really well. She regrew half the bones in his arm previously. Because of another faulty person thinking they can do stuff. Though Tonks actually can, so right. I guess that's just And not, not that fair. he doesn't think Tonks isn't capable, he just has more faith in Madame Pomfrey. To be fair, that is what she's trained in. Right. He doesn't really want to be rude, so he's just like, yeah, sure, okay. And Tonks tells him to hold still and points her wand at him and says, episky. Ding. <laughs> it is a ding. Yeah, the word episky is a ding. It is. That's... Really the only... Well, the word episky being used to heal Harry's broken nose mm-hmm. is a dick. Who does it? Different, definitely. But in the book, it describes Harry's nose as going from hot to cold, which I don't know if you've ever broken a bone, but it mm. does... You've got a lot of blood rushing mm-hmm. to that area, so it does feel very hot. And then I imagine that as it heals, the blood just like rushes away, so that would make it feel cold too and then you would probably have the magical effect as well but it feels mended the pain is gone he feels it it's just like okay it's all there nothing seems out of place nothing seems strange now if somebody heals you like this do you still have a bruise i don't know what episky specifically does is it for broken bones well it's for a nose at the very least because harry uses cartilage broken cartilage yeah (laughs) harry uses it on demelza when ron punches her so, Which and is he breaks her nose. Funny, I want to talk about that later on too. Yeah. But yeah, so Episky at least heals noses, if nothing else. Yeah, because in the movie he's still bleeding. Yeah, I think that is just the movie being dramatic because it does that. Stupid. Yeah, but he thanks her and she still doesn't smile. Just says that he should put his cloak on as they walk to the school. Which he does, and while he's getting himself invisible again, she sends a large silvery four-legged creature towards the castle which harry recognizes as a patronus and wants to know wait that's a patronus right i love that he's like shocked he's like what the fuck is that because it's so big it's a werewolf and he's like is that a patronus (laughs) well he knows that it's a patronus because he's seen dumbledore send messages that way before Mm -hmm. but he just kind of wants to confirm that i always felt like he was like super shocked because he was like what the i've never seen a patronus that big because i would assume the werewolf is a pretty large thing to see appear out of somebody's wand and take off so i always have taken it as him being really confused like wait what (laughs) just confirming it's what i always thought but which she does it is she tells him that she sent the word to the castle so they'd know that she had him and they didn't worry and then they make their way off to said castle would they have worried they're not oh for sure i mean harry's not just any student he isn't just any student but i also feel a little bit like maybe he wanted to go to madame pomfrey so he could be like that bitch malfoy (laughs) and tell madame pomfrey 
but I don't know. know. He doesn't really ever tell her the truth of what happens when he gets injuries and has she to go knows to the hospital. So like. much about what that stupid kid gets up to. She's like, Mother, f- I got to deal with this not again. A dog bite, Ronald. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Madame Pomfrey. She deals with some shit. Oh, I'm sure. And it's definitely not just Harry. But they start walking, and Harry wants to know how she found him. Which, like we were saying, she was actively investigating why Harry had not gotten off the train. His follow-up question is, what are you even doing here? Which, you know, that's a valid question for a meddler. Mm-hmm. But he learns that she was stationed in Hogsmeade, not Hogwarts, mm-hmm. Hogsmeade, to give the school extra protection. He asks if it's just her, and she says, no, Proudfoot, Savage, and Dollish are there too. Which was our trivia question. And yeah. also a ding to Tolkien. Proudfoot. Proudfoot. Proud feet. <laughs> I love the fact that Harry's like Dollish, the aura that Dumbledore had to attack in his office last year. Yes. <laughs> I love it so much. Use your brain, Harry. Come on. But they make their way to the castle. They continue along. And Harry just kind of keeps looking at Togs, probably relieved that she can't see him doing it since he's under the invisibility cloak. And is actually acknowledging in his mind, in her monologue, Harry, that... She seems older and more serious than how she used to be, how he remembers her, and probably what made him really like her. Figures that it could be because of everything that went down at the ministry, and he can hear Hermione telling him that he should say something consoling about Sirius, but he's like, I don't, can't, I know. what I, mm. And it's not because he blames Tonks in any way. This is still all happening in his inner monologue. It's just that he doesn't, want to talk about Sirius if he doesn't have to. I think I tend to side with Ron on this that he's like why is she not why is she upset like yes I do think that losing Sirius is probably a blow to her but I don't think she would be this kind of upset because Sirius was gone most of her life he was locked up in Azkaban and I tend to side with Ron which doesn't happen often but I tend to think along those lines that he's like she didn't even really know him like why would she be that upset and i can see what hermione was saying about the whole survivor's guilt thing yes that she was literally the one fighting bellatrix and failed and had she been able to stop her slow her down anything serious might still be alive but i do think you're right that it wouldn't she be this level would it be this upset and honestly if hermione had been paying two-fourths of attention she would have seeing that it's not that i think hermione is very observant especially in the ways of love mm-hmm. because that's what she wants she might not admit it i think that's very much what hermione wants and i think that it's really telling how upset tonks is at this situation yeah i mean i think it's easy to forget especially rereading them as adults i think it's easy to forget what it was like in our heads when we were teenagers yeah. And the shit that we would explain away or justify or forget or not notice or not understand. At this point, Tonks is 25-ish. Yeah. 25-ish. Good for Lupin. Get a boy. <laughs> That's the age difference of me and my husband, so I can't really. <laughs> Good for Chaz. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they keep walking to the castle in silence. And Harry's like, man... It's a lot further from Hogsmeade yeah, he, than I, I even realized because he's used to he's taking never the carriages. And I got to tell you, when I'm walking, walking that, yeah. I'm like, where's my broom? Because I just restarted. I just beat Hogwarts Legacy as a Gryffindor and I just restarted it as a Hufflepuff. So I don't yet have my broom and I'm like, God, this walk takes forever. I just am always on sprint mode. I'm right? like, ah, ah. <laughs> And that's still not fast enough. It is. It's very back. slow. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Get you a hippogriff. But anyway, they finally make it to the castle. They're right outside where those tall pillars are with the winged boars. And Harry tries to just push the gates open. But hey, they're chained shut because not just anybody can walk in here, yo. I think it's really funny that they use a chain when we know that they don't need to use a chain. (laughs) I'm sure it's a bewitch chain. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it is. Not even I'm sure it is. I know it is because Tonks specifically says that Dumbledore bewitched them himself. So 
Alohomora, which Harry tries next, does not work and will not work. What a loser. So Harry's then like, well, I guess I could just climb the wall because Tonks is not offering him any suggestions here. No, you can't. Yeah, and that's exactly what she says. No, there's anti-intruder jinxes on all of them. She and- is kind of being like very unhelpful she just be like i sent a thing there's something she's so lackluster right now like she's just depressed yeah she is good for her for getting out of bed and being there yes saving harry yes she is barely functioning but i can also see why harry's irritated because when you are dealing with somebody like that and you don't know that they are depressed you know you just try to be nice and smile and stuff like that but inside you're like why are you moving so slow? Why are you not helping me? Well, I feel like because she's so depressed, but she's functioning as much as she is. Yes. All of her energy is going into that. And she just does not have anything left to make that small talk. She doesn't have anything in to be like, don't worry, someone's going to be on their way for you soon. She just doesn't have it in her right now. She is tapped. I appreciate that she's still looking out for Harry, even though she is very de- yeah. very depressed she is like i this is this is what i have to do this is important harry is important i gotta i gotta do what i gotta do yeah her heart is absolutely in the right place it's just a little smooshed right now and hard to do anything else but yeah the bare minimum yeah and it, it'd be like that sometimes but like you said harry is kind of annoyed that she's not being very helpful and sarcastically sasses because he does that too <laughs> that he's just gonna sleep out there and wait until morning and tonks is like someone's coming for you it's fine and she points to what you can just see is the lantern flicker, light yep. making its way down the path from the castle and harry's just like oh thank god i don't even care that i'm gonna have to deal with filch's bullshit i'm just so relieved i don't have to sleep out here <laughs> oh just wait just wait again that's not how it happened in the movie though harry and luna walk to the school together and the movie provides something that the books never ever did a teacher tracking their students what flitwick has a freaking list who would have thought flitwick's the responsible one the way they did this too it is very cute not at all how it happened in the book but it was just so funny that he's like i've been looking all over for you too names yeah. He's and, very logical Ravenclaw at the moment. Yes. And Harry's just like, Professor Flitwick, you've known me for five years. And Luna's literally in his house. So <laughs> no, no exceptions, exceptions Potter. Potter. Yeah. And I, I even love how he acknowledges that he knows he's Harry Potter. Yeah. It was funny. It got a chuckle from me. Yes. I don't mind changes. I just want the important things to stay. Let me rephrase this. I don't mind additions. Additions, yes. Changes are harder. Additions are are harder. But additions that bring joy to it. I actually like this addition because we get to see the Aurors going through students' luggage. Yeah. And it gives a glimpse to Harry as to what they're doing there. The safety precautions that have been put into place for him and all the students. Yeah. It is... Definitely for him, but everybody needs to be safer at Hogwarts with these dark times. Which is funny because this is like the one of the worst school years. <laughs> Poor Katie. Oh Poor man. Poor, oh man. Who else? Poor Dumbledore. Who else? <laughs> who else? Poor Dumbledore. Poor Bill. Poor Castle. Poor Castle. Poor Bill. A lot happens. Yeah, this there's year. a lot happening. Oh, we're getting there. We're so, getting there. Ellen and I had this conversation. Every time I have watched this movie, I have thought that this was Filch because I'm fairly certain that Draco says, it's a walking stick, you filthy squib. I thought he called him like a blithering idiot or something, so I don't know. So I always thought Filch was checking their luggage because I was thinking about the probity probe that he has, and I thought they were giving a nod to that. Yeah, maybe. But Ellen said that she thought that it was an Auror who just I mean, happened Flitwick to look like Filch. specifically says... There are other people there, too. That they were Aurors. Mm-hmm. But it could be Filch and Aurors going through the luggage. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Filch totally does like to be self-important. Yeah. So we see that as Flitwick checks Luna and Harry off on his list. And we get a glimpse of Draco being super rude to the one that I think is Filch. 
and he grabs his walking stick and he's angry and he's like that's a walking stick also you're 16 why do you need a walking oh that's totally his dad's he's absolutely imitating and just emulating everything about nazi von douchebag the first because he's trying to step in his shoes right now is his wand also inside of the i have to wonder if he put his own wand in or if maybe he started using his dad's thinking it could make him more powerful that kind of makes me sad maybe he just has two wands now i don't know do they confiscate your wand when you get arrested they do so maybe he kept the stick part and put his own wand in the top maybe anyways nazi von douchebag the second turns around and he sees harry's broken sad nose and he goes bloody face nice face potter like i had nothing to do with that i had everything to do with that that was a little (laughs) boastful i love harry's little grimace there he's just like "Mm." yeah whatever dude fuck you wish i could get you alone and fight you can you imagine what malfoy would actually be like in like a fist fight pathetic i feel like tom felton would take somebody out but draco no no but luna offers to fix harry's nose at this point not talks yeah you know luna not talks but she says it looks a little devil may care this way and i I love love the way she's (laughs) she's so freaking cute but she fixes it and harry's really reluctant before he makes a sort of like face (laughs) and he's like sure give it a go i love the whole i fixed a couple of toes before yes so apparently you can use a pisky on toes according to the movie and luna and luna which both are not very good but considering that she's missing shoes half the time i can completely understand why she's broken a toe or two yes i get it but she fixes his nose and he says how do i look and she says exceptionally ordinary ordinary, which is adorable and he's like great let's go (laughs) i think the movie showed the nose fixing a little more dramatically than the book described it but also, it does hurt to have your nose reset. I have never broken my nose, only broken my ankle, so. I imagine that hurts a lot, too. It was not pleasant. Funnily <laughs> enough, I've broken my nose and my toes, so. You need a pisky. I need a pisky. After Luna fixes Harry's nose and he's like, brilliant, and they start walking to the castle, that's where we cut the movie scene. The book goes on a little bit more just because we have different details here. But honestly, the cutoff is pretty similar in a parallel sense Mm -hmm. obviously one of the biggest differences is the fact that harry is there with tonks again not luna they're currently stuck outside the castle there is no flitwick checking him off and what harry thinks is filch making his way down to the gates is actually snape making my way down to the gates of hogwarts do 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 (laughs) And Snape being Snape just sneers and makes a shitty comment about Harry finally showing up but not being in his school uniform. Harry tries to explain why. You know, like, well, I couldn't, but... Why does he waste his time? (laughs) Come on, Harry. I think it's a knee-jerk reaction for a teenager. Probably. Snape doesn't let him. He just tells Nymphadora that... He's got Harry now. She doesn't have to wait. And she's standing there like, uh, I meant for Hagrid to get my message. (sighs) Snape says that Hagrid was also late to the feast. So he took it instead and makes another really shitty comment, which this being left out of the movie as well. Like, obviously it had to be because nothing else in this section from the book happened the same way. But... For Snape to make the shitty comment about being interested in her new Patronus, saying that she was better off with the old one because the new one looks weak, it just shows the person that Snape is. And the movie didn't have enough moments showing just how troubled Snape is. Alan Rickman's a little too lovable. Well, Alan Rickman could still be a dick and be lovable. Yes. I love Alan Rickman as Snape. I absolutely do. He's just and I know love that, his face. <laughs> yeah. I know that he knew the whole time which side he was actually on as Snape and he played it accordingly. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. It's a Slytherin moment. He is playing for himself. His love of Lily is the side he's on. He's not on the good side. He's not on the bad side. He's on his own side. And his side happens to line up with the good side. Mostly. But I do think that 
decades later after his brain has fully developed and he's at least removed himself from the majority of the influences that he had as a teenager, as mm -hmm. an old teenager, young adult. I do think that he did have some good intentions, but he was just way too fucked up to fully be good. And I think that the movie really made it seem like yeah, he was kind of a dick, but he was good the whole time. A lovable dick. Right. Yeah. And in the book, you really see how truly gray he is. And yeah, this is really one is. of those moments. It was completely unnecessary for him to make this comment. He did it to hurt Tonks, who was already fucking hurting. And that's just a classic example of somebody who has that much trauma that needs to bring other people Go down, down yeah. too. I agree with that. I think that the movies do a really good job of in the third one showing harry how much remus and lily meant to each other which i know that's a big ship a lot of people have remus and lily as their ship like they should have been together so maybe snape harbors some resentment against remus but also remus never stopped the bullying but he also didn't partake in the bullying so it's kind of like he was still best friends with the ones who the did bullies. and yeah. is still friends with the one who did that's alive like it's i think it's hard to move past that stuff especially when you don't have any kind of therapy to help you move past it there's that and i think that with big big traumas like snape had like his mom being abused by his dad and him being abused and neglected relentlessly abused at school and and probably abused and neglected at home definitely neglected yeah. i mean he had to wear his mom's old clothes yeah i think that if there was some sort of therapy like damn at this point seek out a muggle therapist yeah and i mean it'd be tough to talk about what was really bothering you with the muggle therapist but you can leave out some stuff yeah like i was bullied in high school these people picked on me relentlessly and i was in love with one of their you know i don't think he was in love with her i think he loved her i think that's where we're different yeah i do think he. Was i don't think it her. was an in love i think that i don't think he had enough experience with love himself to even understand what that means and i think that all he knew was she's the only person who was ever genuinely kind to him and so he definitely had some kind of feelings for her and she meant a lot to him and I do think that he loved her, but I don't think he understood what that meant in any way, shape, or form. And I don't think he knew how to be healthy with that. I don't think he knew how to take care of it. I still think that, which we see in the memories, mm -hmm. he called them best friends. That was his focus. They were best friends. I disagree with you. I mean, I, I do think that he, yes, mainly referred to them as best friends. But he wanted more, and she did not. I don't know that they ever broached that. I think that he messed up their friendship long before he ever really could come to that conclusion. Yeah, and then he did after. And then I will give an example from my own high school days is I was friends with a person and they and I had classes together and they were like a kind of odd boy, very nice boy, but an odd boy. And I had no interest in dating in high school at all whatsoever. <laughs> and when i basically expressed that i had no interest in dating people in high school it turned into a very obsessive kind of thing and i think that's where snape is see i didn't see on that, that end yeah i didn't see that from the memories that we got to see i think that's part of the problem is we don't have the full story no but what we did see and what we will see in the memories is that there's a lot of friends, friendship love and she stood up for him a lot and it reached the point where she couldn't anymore because the stuff he was doing because of did the not stuff align. he was doing and saying and they went their separate ways and i think that snape was just so damaged and so caught up in the group of people he did find that seemed to accept him for his damaged self seemed to yeah that i don't even think he had the capacity to really think about how he felt for her because i think if he did truly love her love her he never would have gone down that path to begin with i think it took him 
realizing the choices that he made and how good she actually was to him and knowing that he's the one who put her in danger to realize what he had and what he ruined. I mean, I don't necessarily think that maybe he was in love. Like, I think he was obsessed with her, which is stressful. But she was the only one that was nice to him. So I get that. Because that's kind of the situation. I don't even think it was an obsession. I think the obsession was his guilt. I don't think he could get past his guilt and he was doing everything to fix that. I don't agree with that. But maybe we could talk about this more on a later episode. Yeah. But I just, I think Snape was uh, borderline unhealthy. Oh, I don't even think he was borderline unhealthy. I just don't think the unhealthy part was his feelings. I think the unhealthy part was his trauma. I think his feelings for Lily were the one good thing he actually had in his life. I think it's both, personally. But I don't think that he was the kind of person who could handle those feelings. But it also makes good rapport with us that we have different opinions on that. But Snape being trashed to Tonks right now, it just really shows how in the world can you say Remus is weak? I don't think he actually thinks that, and I think that some of that is just out of jealousy. I just, it hurts so much because he has been dealing with a monster coming out of him since he was like four years old. I always loved Remus's thought on this, is that Snape Snape made him that potion Mm -hmm. perfectly every time. And he could have chosen to not. And I... (laughs) That's why I think in the long run, underneath all of that trauma, his heart is actually in the right place. I just don't think it's enough. I don't think Snape ever had the desire to, like, kill anybody. Maybe when he was younger. Maybe. he was so angry. He was very angry. He was a very angsty teen. Yeah. I feel like people always want to overlook the fact because we really only know Snape as the asshole adult from moments like this in the book. And I think people want to forget that he was a very angry, traumatized teenager when he joined the Death Eaters. And that's not exactly something that you can just resign from on a whim. Regulus was also a sad, angsty teenager when he joined. And he made the right choice. And died for it. Sometimes it's a sacrifice you have to make, I say, as a very loyal, dedicated Hufflepuff. Sometimes it's the choice that you have to make. And ultimately, it is the one that Snape made. He does. It's, (laughs) but again, there's so much trauma there. There's so much He does so much shit. He does. That I don't think you can ultimately call him good. I just think that there is good there. I don't, yeah, that's what, I think that's what I was saying is that, in being for himself he is this gray character like he doesn't necessarily fall onto the good side because does he do shitty things yes but he also doesn't fall onto the bad side because does he do good things like make lupin's potion yes he does so it's just it's very complicated and a very very gray very gray and that's even what the author says about him which i think makes him more realistic and dynamic but We went way off on a tangent on this. The main thing that I was trying to say is the movie did not give us that gray Snape. The movie made it come across more like he was good all the time and playing the role to look bad. Yes. And also, honestly, having Alan Rickman play him, Alan Rickman is just so freaking lovable. Even when he cheats on Emma Thompson in Love Actually, you just love him. His face, you just want to squish it and say, I love you. I know that I've said this before, but when he died, I literally had three people text me to tell me that my old man crush died. Me too. Because he died and then David Bowie died. I think they died a a day apart. It was (laughs) was a rough year. But I had a friend message me the day David Bowie died, and she was like, I'm really sorry that Alan Rickman died and David Bowie. I know how important both of them were to you, and I hope you're okay. And I was like, Lord. Uh. (laughs) It was very hard. Yeah, so, I mean, I get it. But he's just so, he's so lovable. Well, and what I also think happened here is, I've said this before, I don't know if it was with you, but it was definitely with Katie, that Snape started off as a caricature we were just meant to think he was awful and hate him. Yeah. The author was trying to throw us off the scent of what side he was actually on. It's your red herring. And I think that his character in the book suffered for that. I think that she did not write him well until the end. 
and by then it was too little too late i think to she was salvage the character she was definitely in focus yes so then it was just like i'm doing all these little mishmashy things to throw them off so they don't think he is a decently gray character i yeah. guess so but i also think that the movie tried to fix that and too much him better throughout yeah but they did overboard it yeah because you just want to squish his cheeks and say i love you he still was a very traumatized man who did horrible things because of that and we had very few of those in the movie we did There's this a... was just one of those examples that yeah. obviously they couldn't include it because we Tonks didn't have Tonks there, or anything yeah. there wasn't a patronus message nothing was sent along like that but this is why that small detail change is such a big deal yes so even though they're moving from Tonks to Luna, it might not seem like a big deal, but leaving out this information and this scene is gaining important character development on Snape. And Tonks. And Tonks, yeah. Because you learned that her Patronus changed. You don't know what it is because Harry's like, what is that? Four-legged creature. But you also see how much his comment shocks and angers her. It makes me so sad. Harry just briefly sees that on her face as Snape's lantern passes over. And all he can do is say goodnight and thank her again. And then he has to go up to the school with Snape. And that's where I decided to cut the book chapter to keep it as lined up as possible. This makes me so mad. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Tonks and how she could take Snape out in a fight. But with that being said, all of that stuff that's missing, I think we should make our Potter pondering... How do you feel about the change from Tonks to Luna? Yeah, we mentioned that earlier. I think that we got even more into that about how this Very affected much. that change. It definitely does, yeah. So we really want to know what you all think about it as well. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. That will bring us to this week's wizarding word, which has to do with Harry Potter apparel. Naturally, Carly being a mom leads to her doing a lot of baby clothes searching. And naturally, being a Harry Potter podcast co-host leads to her doing a lot of Harry Potter baby clothes searching. So we found a few things that are super adorable and thought that those of you who also have babies or maybe nieces and nephews, yep. you got some nibblings that might enjoy this stuff, you should check it out. So cute. So the first one that we found is copperpearl.com. This is Instagram's targeted ads to me have been very good lately. So oh, they I, know what they're doing. They do know what they're doing. Copper Pearl has very cute clothes. They have a whole Harry Potter line. It's cute. They have sheets, towels, baby bandana bibs, oh, burp yeah. claws, binky clips, bows if you have a little girl, PJs, or if you want to put a boy in a bow. I'm sorry. Onesies, no judgment. Swaddle blankets. The blankets are so cute. Sleeping bags. And I actually noticed there's robes on here. So if you are pregnant currently and you're planning your hospital stay, I will recommend that you have your own pajamas and a robe to take with you when you go into labor because the hospital does not provide very good stuff. So my favorite <gasps> There's is Hufflepuff the... stuff. I didn't even see that. <laughs> my favorite is the Hogwarts line because it's literally all teal. It's teal. And so cute. They do have house stuff. I didn't even notice that. That's so cute. The Gryffindor stuff is adorable. Yeah, there's tons of cute things. We're going to share the link to this website on our Facebook page so that you can check them out too. Ravenclaw colors are accurate. Do you see that? Here. Yes. They're accurate. Oh my gosh, they do. They have like baby blue and bronze. Yep. Super cute. They are very cute. So that'll bring us to this week's trivia question. And that is, why is Hagrid late to the feast? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag Harry's not the only one will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at foxsakepod at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. 
Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and TikTok at FoxSakePod. Following us on Podbean at FoxSakePod will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to become a patron, you can find us on Patreon at Pod. Patronage starts at $2 and will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake Swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, and more. Check out our page for details. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 8, Snape victorious and the corresponding film scenes. Sort of. Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For Fox Sake. Sake.